How many of y'all have seen the, I'm not going to say the bad news, but some of the good news that have been going on around the world? Yeah, we've seen Asbury. We've seen revival there. We've seen revivals happen across uh, universities and churches. And uh, some, I mean, there's some people that are going to say, well, it's manufactured. I really don't care if it's manufactured or not. Um, I don't care if you call it a revival. I don't care if you call it an outpouring. I don't care if you call it a mighty move of God. When He is lifted up, and he draws men into himself. That's all I care about. I don't care what you call it. Amen? Amen. Anybody who will nay say and say, oh, they're not doing it right. Well, at least they're doing something. Amen. Amen. You know, you get a bunch of men together and they're looking around a truck and they're trying to figure out what's going on with the truck. And one guy has an idea and he starts doing that. What do all the other guys say? That's, that's not what I would do. That's not how I would have done it. Well, at least he's doing something. Amen. Today, I'd like to talk to you about an everyday revival. Somebody say every day. Every. You know, we, we look for moments in time, but really, a revival is meant to be an everyday occurrence in our life. And yet, there are times when in our Christian walk, it just seems very monotonous. Uh, it seems very boring. Um, that's why Paul commanded Timothy to fan into flames the gift of God. Amen. So when the flame's getting low, what are you supposed to do? Fan it back into a fire. The early church, and we're going to spend the majority of our time in the book of Acts, the early church lived in a constant state of revival. If you want to call it a revival, that's fine. If you want to call it a constant state of outpouring, that's fine. If you want to call it a constant state of mighty moves of God or, or blessings or powerful times of worship, or I don't care what you call it. But there was something different about the early church. They lived in a constant state of revival. It was not just a single event, but a lifestyle. Somebody say that, a lifestyle. You know, real revival is not just a single event. We look at Asbury and praise God for what he did and what he's continuing to do there. But if you want a revival, you start a revival. In your heart, in your house, with your family. And when you get a revival in your own heart, in your own house, with your own family, and you get a bunch of fire that comes together in the house of God, guess what happens? It gets a really big fire. <laughs> it was not just a single event, but a lifestyle. Everywhere they went, and every day a revival broke out. And I'm not talking about powerful worship services, although powerful worship services are wonderful and needed. But literal revivals of souls from death to life by the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's a revival. Every time somebody gets saved in these seats, a revival breaks out. And shame on us for belittling it. There was somebody that was dead, going to hell. And they came back to life with their confession that Jesus is Lord. 
How dare we belittle that? Jesus said, there's a party that breaks out in heaven when one. Heaven takes time to celebrate one. You know, there's a lot of things going on in heaven. Jesus is preparing a place for us. There's a great cloud of witnesses and angels praising God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But when one gets saved, they take a break and they begin to celebrate. And these revivals are not just powerful worship services, all those are wonderful and they're needed. But a revival in the early, was in the early church because revival was in the streets, not just in their meetings. I dare to say that revival was in them, not just around them. And if you're looking for somebody else's fire, you're missing it. If you're looking for somebody else's fire, you're missing it. You have the flame on the inside of you. Revival was in the early church because revival was in the streets, not just in their meetings. Meetings were and are today for rejoicing at this week's catch of fishing for men. I want to say that again. Meetings are and were for rejoicing at this week's catch of fishing for men. It was for equipping to do it again and do it to a greater degree. Meetings are for refreshing from the wear and tear of living in a world that's not our home. Can I say that to you again? Meetings are for rejoicing at this week's catch of fishing for men. It's for equipping to do it again and to a greater degree. And meetings are for refreshing and healing from the wear and tear of living in a world that is not our home. Revival in the streets means revival when we meet. If you would, let's look in Acts chapter 8. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in Acts chapter 8, and then we're going to go a little bit around the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 7, we see the stoning of Stephen. And then Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was one of the witnesses. Who Saul? That Saul. Saul that became Paul. And he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with, uh, with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women, to throw them into prison. That sounds like a bad day. Verse 4, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. Talk about what the enemy meant for evil. God turned into good. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. Verse 5, Philip, for example, went to the city of where? Samaria. Samaria, and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see 
miraculous signs. Many evil spirits were cast out screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Somebody say great joy. In verse 9, a man named Simon, who had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. That's funny, he was claiming to be someone great until he found somebody greater. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he astounded them with his magic. Verse 12, but now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip everywhere he went, and he was amazed by the signs and miracles performed. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. Verse 15, as soon as they arrived, how soon? As soon. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for the new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Samaria was in the middle of what? Of a revival. Samaria was in the middle of revival. We see great preaching. We see great teaching. We see great praise. We see signs, wonders, and miracles in Samaria. We see baptisms in the Holy Spirit. Amen? But something weird happened. Something very weird happened. It was Philip who started all of this. And then in verse 26, it said, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south, down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. The Lord told Philip to do what? Leave. Leave the party. Leave the revival. That doesn't sound very fun. And where did he tell him to go? To the desert. That's super fun. I'm, uh, the Lord says, I want you to leave this revival, this heavy presence, this constant state of, of, of people turning to the Lord and baptisms in the Holy Ghost and, and, and healing signs. I want you to leave and go to the desert. That, that doesn't sound very fun. But what does he do? He obeys. Verse 27, so he started out and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Kondake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning seated in his carriage, and he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked 
Do you understand what you are reading? The man said, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture had, uh, he had been reading was this. He was like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb is silent before the shears and he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice for he um, who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was this the prophet talking about himself or somebody else? So the beginning, uh, so the beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Somebody say that with me. He told him the good news about Jesus. Where were they? In the middle of the desert. (laughs) Not where the party was. Where were they? In the middle of the desert. Verse 36. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. I want to tell you something. In Philip's ministry, he had started this revival in Samaria. The second revival he started was in the middle of the desert. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, we don't know much about this treasure, but what we do know is he took it back to Ethiopia with him. And Ethiopia had a revival. Ethiopia had a revival because Philip obeyed, left the party, left the revival, left the signs, wonders, and miracles, left the powerful worship, left the awesome prayer, left the signs and the wonders, and he went to the desert and did what he was supposed to do. Now, he didn't leave the revival to go get another revival. He had it on the inside of him. Are you with me? Going to to places like Asbury is great. It's wonderful. Love it. Go. Do it. But now, don't they have an age age cap? You can only be 25. I'm out now. That's unfortunate. I was joking with Tyler about it. I said, I guess, that, I guess you and I are too old now. He said, I'm not, I'm not 26 yet. <laughs> yet. But going to places like that are, is wonderful. It's great. You should do it. You should experience the things of God. Pastor Art tells stories all the time of when he went to Brownsville. I love it. Why? Because you need to hear those stories of what God is doing, and it builds your faith. However, if you don't have the ability to go, and I would say not many people do, you can still have a revival in your own heart, in your own life, in your own home, amongst your own family. And if you get a fire in your house, and I'm not talking about a literal fire, okay? (laughs) You should call call David. I actually just, he'll meet you there. Call 911, okay? <laughs> but when you get a fire of revival in your home 
and you bring that into the house of God. Amen. Amen. What happens when you take a bunch of candles and you put them together? It, It makes a big flame. It makes a big fire. And so Philip took this with him into the middle of the desert and brought a man from death to life. Did this, did this man love the Lord? Yeah, he loved the Lord. But he didn't have the full revelation of it. And he told him about Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. You know, it's all about Jesus. Amen. Can we say that? It's all, it's all about Jesus. 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 Say it again. It's all, it's all about, about Jesus. Jesus. Can I give one warning and then we'll, we'll move on? I love worship. How many of you love worship? It's my favorite part of the service until the preaching comes. Then that's my favorite part. But people. (laughs) People love worship. But they have a love affair with worship and not the one that they're worshiping. They want to sing the songs, but not sing it to the one who's worthy of it. That's my challenge when it comes to worship. Is when you sing these songs, praise God, we're singing them together. But don't just have a a love affair with the songs and the music and the guitar parts and the ambient sounds and all the cool things. But sing them to the one who's really worthy. You know, I want to be very careful with how I word this, but when people just worship just because they like the music, it's like the Israelites beginning to worship the images of things, but not the one who created it. Amen? Don't just worship the image of music, the image of worship, but worship the one who is worthy of the worship. The one who created the worship. Amen? And so we see this gentleman in the middle of the desert becomes revived. He's so eager to get baptized, and he sees a little pond on the side of the road, which is probably disgusting. And he ordered that the carriage stop, verse 38, and went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way, what? Rejoicing, Rejoicing and took the fire of God that was alive on the inside of him to the country of Ethiopia. And because he had great influence, that fire spread very quickly. And Ethiopia had a revival. Meanwhile, Philip Philip found himself farther north than the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Samaria. So Philip left his original revival in Samaria, went to the desert, started a revival there. The Spirit of the Lord snatched him up, took him 20-something miles away, 
and to other villages. And what did he do? He preached. And revivals started. And revivals started. And revivals started. Until he came to Caesarea. And revivals started. You take revival with you. You don't go to a revival. You know, Jesus gave the parable of why would somebody light a lamp and then cover it with a basket? How many of us do that every day? We have the fire of God on the inside of us, but we want to conceal it and hide it because we don't want to offend somebody. We don't want to be embarrassed. Amen? You know, Last week, uh, Sarah and I went on a, we, we heard this phrase, I think it's pretty funny, it's called a baby moon. It's where you get away before your baby comes. <laughs> um, and so Sarah and I went to, uh, to Nashville and Franklin area, and, and uh, it was Sunday. Where should a pastor be on a Sunday? Church. Where was I at? No, I was at the mall. <laughs> I was at the mall. We believe that's what the Lord wanted us to do. People in our life had encouraged us to get away for some time, and so we did. And I wasn't where everybody thought in the natural I should be. I'm not just saying you all. I'm just, even I myself, I'm like, should I go to church? <laughs> uh, it's, always, it's always odd when you go away over the weekend. You know, that, that should be more often and a, a thought in our hearts. When we're not here at home and we're away for our weekend, where am I going to go to church? Should I, should, I, should, I go, should I get my phone out and watch online? Yeah, you should. Um, should you find a great church there? Yeah, you should. You should, you should do something. Well, Sarah was getting her nails done. Two and a half hours. It took to get her nails done, but she wanted. And so I just found a nice, comfortable chair, and I sat down, and I was uh, allowing myself to have some sugar, and so I was slurping on a Coke Icy. Love those things. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. And so I was sitting there just doing nothing, minding my own business, and this gentleman comes up and sits right next to me. And he begins to just talk to me and he said, well, this is going on in the world today and that's going on. Did you see the Super Bowl show and they were doing this and that? And did you see this? I'm like, yeah, I saw that. That was, that was, that was not fun. And he's like, are you a conservative? I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a conservative. I could tell you were a conservative. Your hair is clean. Your clothes <laughs> This guy needed some help. This guy needed some help. He was very old school, but anyways. I wanted to say, well, everybody takes baths, but that's okay. Anyways. <laughs> and, uh, and so he began to talk about his life. So, so what do you do? And he 
said, well, I'm a, I'm a retired dentist. I said, okay. He said, yeah, I did a lot of work in, in Brentwood and did a lot of work for the country music stars and the, the hockey players. And he said the hockey players were crazy because they'd all come in and all their teeth were gone. <laughs> and he'd have to do them again. And then six weeks later, they come back in because they were all gone again. <laughs> um, he said he also did work in New Orleans. And this was a crazy story. He began to tell me he got a phone call from MGM Studios. He got a call from MGM Studios. And this was back in 1977, 76. And they were filming the Roger Moore, James Bond, Live and Let Die. And they were filming these scenes in the swamp. And Roger Moore did his own stunts. And he messed up one of his own stunts and knocked his teeth out. <laughs> and so they were calling all these dentists. Who can do this work overnight? we got to keep filming. Who can do this? And dentists were turning them away. And he said, yeah, I, I can do it. I'll, we'll figure it out. We'll make a way. And so they said, well, we need it done overnight. Overnight. Okay. He said, yeah, I'll do it. And so he said, Roger Moore came in with his director. We stayed all night long, put in the new teeth. And he said, back in 1977, I did $10,000 worth of work on this guy, on Roger Moore. And so the director handed him an envelope, and they, they both walked out, and filming continued. So he looked at the check, and at first glance, he said, this is only $10,000, and he was fuming mad. His assistant takes the check and says, this is not $10,000. This is $100,000. <laughs> Back in 1977, which is approximately, what, half a million dollars today? And so I'm just hearing him tell these stories after story after story after story. And he's, he begins to ask me, uh, what do you think about ghosts? I lived in a house that was haunted. <laughs> but as he's talking, I hear the Spirit of God said, this man is lonely. And he said, you're going to witness to him. I said, okay, I'm going to look for my open door. I'm not going to kick down a door. And so he began to ask about ghosts. And then he began to say, well, what about, what do you think happens when you die? I said, there it is. There it is. I said, I'm more concerned about what happens after I die. Where am I going to spend eternity? And he, he just, he got really quiet. He began to get really puzzled. And he said, you know, I've had a lot of Christians recently come my way and, and witness to me. But they all turned out to be dirtbags. <laughs> he, said, he said, they came into my life and then they just turned out to be just completely terrible people. He said, a guy was witnessing to me at the gym and he handed me a track and I was talking to him. He could tell I wasn't really interested. And then this pretty girl walks up. And she said, what are y'all talking about? Oh, we're talking about God. Oh, I love talking about God. He takes the track out of his hand and gives it to the pretty girl. And then come to find out, the girl uh, later said, I, I, I had to, because he was talking to uh, the gentleman I was witnessing to, and come to find out later that this guy who was witnessing was just sending her all these inappropriate things and text messages. And so this guy's taste of Christianity was not very good. In fact, I wouldn't even call it Christianity. 
And so he said, every Christian that's come into my life just ends up being a terrible person. And the Holy Spirit said this, tell him you're never going to see him again. I said, okay. <laughs> I said, Ralph, everybody say Ralph. Ralph. I said, Ralph, I'm never going to see you again. I said, but before I leave, I want to pray with you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And he said, well, how do I do that? And I told him, I said, we pray this prayer of repentance. We say that Jesus is Lord. And he said, okay. And we pray this prayer of repentance. Here in the middle of the mall, this 70-something-year-old uh, guy who was lonely, had no family, had no really prospects or anything to look forward to, gave his life to Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, I wasn't where I was supposed to be, right? But I was out in the desert, well, <laughs> drinking my Coke Icy. <laughs> but I was where the Lord wanted me to be, waiting on my wife. <laughs> Getting her nails done two and a half hours. But it took two and a half hours to crack his shell. That's good. It took two and a half hours to crack the shell and get the gospel in. That's right. That's right. The Lord used my wife getting her nails done to get this guy saved. What would have turned out to be a miserable two and a half hours for me? Congratulations, Sarah. You heard from the Lord. You did your part. You suffered for Jesus. <laughs> but let me tell you, there was a revival at that time going on at Asbury. There was church services here. There were things going on all around me. But where was I at? Where the Lord had told me to be doing what he had told me to do. That's right. Amen. Good word. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. You don't have to go to a revival to get revived. You take this revival on the inside of you and you take it to other people. Going to revivals is great. Now don't leave here saying Pastor Tim said we don't need to go go to a revival. That's fine. Do it. But what's most important is that you have a revival in your heart now. Yes. That you have a revival in your home now. Your kids need to be revived <laughs> more than ever before. Your teenagers need a revival in your home. I want to, I want to tell you that. Your, te your teenagers, your young, your young kids, your children in general... All of them need a revival in your home. Yes. I see them one hour a week. One. And I do what the Lord tells me to do with that one hour a week. But if they have a if you have a revival going on in your home, amen? amen? They are much, much more likely to take the gospel, make it their own, and grow in the things of God. And not depart when they get old. Amen. I'll do everything I can. 
I'll do everything the Lord tells me to do. I'm His servant. I'll do, I'll do whatever. But those kids are in your house. I am not king of your house. You are. <laughs> you are mom. You are dad. Amen? And if, it's, if you're uh, empty nesters, you, it's just the two of you. You two have a revival in your home. You two have a revival in your home. You spend time in the Word together. You worship together. You pray together. You wait until the presence of God descends in your living room. You spend time with the Lord together. Amen? Amen. Amen. You would turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I believe we're going to start in verse 36. There was a lifestyle... of revival. A lifestyle. Somebody say a lifestyle. lifestyle. How many of you need a lifestyle change? You know, a couple years ago, I began a lifestyle change of my own. And it was spiritual, but it was physical in in nature. Um, Sometime I'll I'll, I'll give you a, a a full testimony of what the Lord did. But in 2020, 2021, um, I was in very poor health, very poor health. I was well over 300 pounds. Um, My blood work, I had high blood pressure, high triglycerides, high cholesterol. Everything was off the charts and not in a good way. Uh, I was in very poor health. And I was beginning to have symptoms of things that I was really concerned about and I didn't really tell anybody. Um, until the Lord corrected me and I had a lifestyle change. Did I change what I eat? Yeah, I changed what I eat. But it was a lifestyle change. Somebody say a lifestyle. Lifestyle. You know, we don't need to bandage little things spiritually. Are you with me? If there are things that are really plaguing you and, and that are harming you, and our uh, things that are recurring, you don't need to bandage it. You need a lifestyle change. Spiritually. Amen? And so I, I did this lifestyle change, and one of the side effects was I lost a lot of weight, praise God. But I don't have high blood pressure. I don't have high triglycerides. I don't have high cholesterol. And praise the Lord. But it all came from a lifestyle change, not taking a pill. And I have nothing against taking pills. I take lots of vitamins. When I have a headache, I take, take something. If there's something you need to take, you need a pill you need to take, take it. That's fine. But don't just take pills to keep putting a bandage over something. Amen? Don't just keep taking pills to put a bandage on something. If you need to, hey, and in the meantime... Believe God for your healing and your, and your wholeness and your restoration. But a revival is a lifestyle. Somebody say that, lifestyle. When you talk about lifestyle, you're going to have to dress different. You're going to have to walk different. You're going to have to talk different. You're going to have to act different. You're going to have to eat different. If you want to make a lifestyle change, you're going to have to change your life. And then it says this in verse 36, chapter 2, verse 36. 
So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their heart, and they, t- and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his believers, save yourself from this crooked generation. I want to say that to you. Save yourself from this crooked generation, the wickedness that is outside of these doors. Verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. Verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. Somebody say that. In one place. place. Say it again. In one place. place. And shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in the homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. There's a lifestyle to revival. And the precursor and the sustainer of revival is repentance. I want to say that again. The precursor, the prerequisite, and the sustainer of revival is repentance. Repentance is not a one-time deal. It is a lifestyle. Somebody say that. Lifestyle of repentance. And then verse 42, the first lifestyle is repentance. And then in verse 42, it said, all the believers devoted themselves. Somebody say that, devoted. Devoted. Other versions say that they were steadfast, which is a very interesting word. It's not just being steady. It's being constant, consistent, unwavering, unmovable. You can't move it. It's not going to change. Amen? Amen? And that's what they were, unchangeable. The world was not going to get back in them, the world that they had left. Number two, constantly hearing the teacher or the teaching that revived them. The lifestyle of revival is constantly hearing the teaching that revived them. And I would dare say this. Constantly hearing the teacher that revived them. You know, Pastor Art said something really, really profound. That the people that led him to the Lord and the people that discipled him, their feet will always be beautiful to him. Amen? And there are people in your life and there are people in my life 
their feet will always be beautiful to me. Amen? Constantly hearing the teaching that revived them. Number three, they were devoted to each other. They were devoted to each other. What do I mean by that? I'm with you and you're with me. We're going to bear each other's burdens. We are together in this. I am your brother. Amen? Amen. But what I see in the modern church is this hip, hipping and hopping, hip hop, uh, hopping and, and, and going from one place to another, to another, to another, to another. That's fine. I mean, if people want to do that, that's fine. But I don't see that in the Bible. I don't. I see apostles and I see ministers of the gospel going from city to city to city. But the believers didn't go from, oh, I don't like this, this, this house anymore. Yeah, I'm going to go to this house. This house is way cooler. They got coffee. They have smoke machines. They don't ask anything of me. Number four is they are constant or consistent, I'm sorry, consistent in communion. I want to be my communion, communion together, but more importantly, the Lord's Supper. Number five, they were continual in prayer. What does a revived lifestyle look like? Praying without ceasing. You know, when I was younger, I really didn't like that verse. And I was like, I have to go to school. Am I supposed to pray in the middle of my math test? I mean, what's going on here? (laughs) That's right. You should pray in the middle of your math test. (laughs) Bryce, he he tells me, he says, they're they're constantly finding new math. What? (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Praise God. Um... But what that really means is your conversation with the Lord is always at the forefront of your mind. If you can text with somebody every day, you can talk with the Lord every day. If you can text with somebody throughout the day, you can talk with the Lord throughout the day. Number six, and this comes out of uh, verse 43. It says, a deep sense of awe came over all of them. We should all have a childlike awe at everything that God does. A childlike awe and amazement at everything he does. When somebody gets saved, that is the greatest thing that you see all day. When somebody gets healed, that is the greatest thing that you've seen all day. It is amazing. And you know what a child says? Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. You know, my daughter, she loves to swim. She loves the pool. Right now it's too cold. But I do this rocket ship. She's got a little floaty on around her. We do this rocket ship throw her out of the water and she flies in the air and then lands and the floaty catches her. And she loves it. And she goes, ready? (laughs) Ready? Because she wants to what? Do it again. And that's how we should be with God. God, I'm ready. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And not just do it again, but use me. Use me. Number seven, 
the lifestyle of a revived Christian sees creative miracles. Creative miracles. They see creative miracles through them, to them, and around them. They see healings, signs, and wonders. And I feel so sorry for the people that that move away from those things. Because that means one part of revival is not going to be in their life. My God is 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 the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he healed yesterday, he's going to heal today. Amen. It is my God's will to heal. Yes, it is. Number eight. This comes uh, in verse 44. They go to church in one place. They go to church in one place. You know... Paul began to prophesy to Timothy. He said that there would be a great departing from the faith. A great departing from the faith. A lot of people think that's going to be a, just, people are going to reject their faith. No. It's going to be beginning to put Jesus at an arm's distance. A, a turning, not, not, not departing as in a rejection, but a turning away. I once looked at him, but now I'm not looking at what I used to anymore a changing of beliefs, a changing of the mind away from what was once true. And what we see is when people begin to depart, they begin to depart from their church to go to somewhere else. If the Lord leads you somewhere else, make sure it's the Lord. If you want to leave, that's fine. But as for me, as for me, I'm going to worship in one place. I'm going to go to church in one place. Amen? I like what Brother Copeland says. I'm going to dance with the one that brought me. Well, he says brung, but brung just sounds weird. But I'm going to dance with the one that brought me. You know, consistency and being faithful to the church that has been faithful to us. Number nine, we see extreme generosity. What do I mean by extreme? Oh, you need something? Let me sell my house. (laughs) I'm not saying we need to sell our houses, okay? You can take a breath. Everybody, Everybody breathe deep, okay? But there was such extreme generosity that they sold their land, sold their possessions, sold their house because somebody was in need. Extreme generosity. Oh, you, you need a car? Well, praise God. I, I, I have the ability to get you a car. You need help with rent? Praise God, I have the ability to, get, to give you rent money. You need food? Let's go get you some food. Amen? Extreme generosity. Amen? Number 10 is they worshiped every day. Specifically, the early church worshipped together every day. This is a long list, Pastor Tim. Well, if you want to make a lifestyle change, you got to change the way you dress. You got to change the way you talk. You got to change the way you eat. 
If you want to make a lifestyle change, you're not just putting a bandage on things. Number 11 is they praised on every occasion. They praised on every occasion. Somebody say that. Praise Praise. on every occasion. I'm reminded of that Joyce, uh, that verse, rejoice at all times. And again I say, rejoice. rejoice. But Pastor Tim, there's, there's a virus. Rejoice. <laughs> and again I say, rejoice. rejoice. Pastor Tim, there's inflation. Rejoice. <laughs> and again I say, rejoice. Pastor Tim, there's a certain president in office. Rejoice. (laughs) And again, I say rejoice. Whatever that president's name is, doesn't matter because our command to rejoice still remains the same. And no matter what that president's name is or whoever is in office, our command to pray for them doesn't change. Even if your vote contradicts Amen? The outcome? Your command does not. You voted for him, and you pray for him hard and and long. That's great. You You didn't vote for him. You need to pray for him longer and even harder. Amen? Number 12. If we would, let's turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is where we're going to end. Second Timothy chapter one. In verse six, it says this. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift of God, uh, the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. Who knew verse six and seven went together? Huh? We know verse seven. How many of y'all know verse 7? Did you know verse 7 comes right between 6 and 8? New math. Who knew? (laughs) This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind or self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Hmm. And don't be ashamed of me either even though I'm in prison for him. Number 12 is you need to continually fan into flames the gift of God on the inside of you. If you, can, if you can sit there and say, I'm tired. I don't feel much spiritual life on the inside of me. Fan into flames the gift of God that is on the inside of you. You know what? The word spirit is in the Greek is pneuma. You know what pneuma literally means? Breath. Wind. So how do you fan into flames? Fan into flames the gift of God? By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Commune with the Holy Spirit. Lastly, was this, 13? Yeah. I think I might got you beat. For one message? Have you ever had 13 points in one message? No. Hey! 
Never be ashamed to share your faith. What is the lifestyle of somebody who's revived? They're not ashamed to share their faith. They're not ashamed to share their faith. Can I be honest with you? There was, uh, it was about, about two months ago, a month ago, something like that. The Lord was leading me. He said, I'm going to bring some people across your path and I want you to pray for them. And I, just, I didn't say, okay, I just heard his voice. And within 24 hours, the Lord brought four specific people across my path and I didn't do it. And I didn't do it. Now, for the next five seconds, this is when you can criticize the pastor. Was that the best idea to do? No. Is that a characteristic or a lifestyle of a revived heart? You can say no. (laughs) It's not. So you want to know what I did? I had to go back to number one and repent. I had to repent. Why? For whatever reason, that's between me and the Lord, I didn't obey his voice. But you know what I did? Is he sent me on a desert road in Franklin, Tennessee. Amen? Amen. To sit there for two and a half hours (laughs) leading somebody to Jesus. And ever since then, now this was a week ago, sharing my faith really isn't, isn't a, a struggle. Um, but for this specific mission the Lord gave me where I was disobedient, I had to repent. And you know what? How many times have we heard the voice of God to do something, bless somebody, pray for somebody, witness to somebody, but we didn't do it? They had wood but had no fire, but we had the fire. Amen? The lifestyle of a revived heart is setting everybody else around you on fire for God. That's the lifestyle. That's a lifestyle. Somebody say, it's a lifestyle. It's not just a one-time occurrence. Oh, I did my good deed for the day. Thank you. uh, We'll talk about it next year. No, 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 no. Amen? But what we should do is repent. We should repent. We should repent for being disobedient. Amen? We have the words of eternal life. We have the gift of God on the inside of us. Amen? And there are people out there that you know and I know that are on their way to hell. That 71-year-old man was on his way to hell. And we could call him an elite. Retired a multi-multi-millionaire. Living in... (laughs) One of the most expensive places to live currently. Amen? But this 71-year-old retired dentist, who we could say he was an elite, 
still needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Nobody is, an exempt, is exempt from needing Jesus. Can I say that again? Nobody is exempt from needing Jesus. Why? Because we all will stand before Him. We all will stand before Him. Your friend will stand before Him. Your family member will stand before Him. And I want to say this. Don't be the reason they don't make it. I love what Paul said at the end of the book of Acts. He said, their blood is not on my hands. Why? Because he did what God told him to do. He preached. He witnessed. He did his job. And if people reject, that's their business. If people reject him, that's their business. If people reject you, who cares? Because they reject Jesus, probably don't need to be in fellowship anyways. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for you?